Cheers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits Radio Program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past weekend of racing. With me in the studio is Rouge Engineering's Richard Uden, IndyCar.com's Joey Barnes, and Seth Eggert from Motorsports Tribune. How is everybody tonight? Very good, thank you. Doing good. All right, so... Uh, Big weekend of racing. We had a uh, Formula One on U.S. soil, uh, one one time a year trip, and uh, elimination weekend for the NASCAR boys down in Kansas. So, so let's let's open up with uh, the Grand Prix in Austin. Um, you know, we we don't get Formula One in the United States as often as we used to, uh, but um, great race they put on. Uh, you know, I think a lot of uh, you know a lot of editors have their headlines ready. Hamilton wins U.S. Grand Prix, clinches championship. Uh, had that all that ready to go. Then they had to scrap all that because not only did Lewis not win the Grand Prix, not clinch the championship, but uh, Kimi Raikkonen, at 39 years old, um, takes the race win, his first in 113 starts. Now, uh, now Joey, you're, uh, you were there at the race, and you also have followed uh, Kimi Raikkonen's career quite closely. So uh, it, it had to be a sheer um, thrill just to, to be there for Kimi's win. Yeah, I mean, the, to me, that was probably a race of the year candidate uh, because you look at that situation and you talk about the weekend as a whole. Uh, there was a lot of people after FP1 that were ready to declare Hamilton champion right off the gate because we saw Vettel kind of make an issue and it didn't matter where he was going to qualify because of that issue that, that would happen in FP1. He was going to suffer a a uh, three-race or a three-place grid penalty. And so... Uh, qualifying came around, and even though Vettel qualified second, had to end up biting that penalty, started the race fifth, which moved Raikkonen up from his P3 slot up to P2. And right off the right off the, the line, I mean, Raikkonen got a blazing start enough to where when Hamilton tried to pinch him going into one, that Raikkonen was alongside and couldn't quite seal it. So we saw a scenario where there was some side-by-side, -side, but Hamilton couldn't complete it. It was the start of the year for Raikkonen, who's been abysmal on starts this year and makes a pretty clean getaway and from there uh, i mean it was madness behind on that opening lap we saw a series of issues where alonzo got into it with lance stroll uh, which led to a retirement for alonzo uh, right out of the gate but also stroll had to serve a five second or not a five second he had to serve a drive-through penalty and there were some other issues including daniel ricardo and sebastian vettel were really scrapping it out for fourth after vettel got the jump on him at the start Ricardo was bringing it right back and uh, through sector two. And as they ended up going through three, <clears throat> excuse me, I, uh, Richard, was it, was it the 1314 area right there by the yeah, tower? It was, it, yeah. yeah, it was around the tower just at the end of the, um, was it in the section that sort of the mimic of the old turn eight at uh, Turkey, that sort of section, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah and they, they ended up touching wheels and then, uh, it, as a result, Ricardo was able to continue on, but Vettel, uh, spun, goes towards the back of the, of the pack and has to fight his way back up. But luckily, um, a virtual safety car came out with the unfortunate situation that later was Daniel Ricardo's stalled car on the side because of a gearing issue. And uh, it it was frustrating to see that for Ricardo because that guy can't catch a break. But that, that situation really set up what was, what we all thought was really the the mind-blowing, ill-advised strategy call of the race. Whenever Hamilton 
ended up pitting, but the Ferrari didn't elect to pit mm. Raikkonen. We were all like, what's going on? How do you not do that? And even worse, Ferrari doesn't pit anybody, not even Vettel, to try to match Hamilton. So we knew that in this situation, Ferrari were trying to plan for a one-stopper, and Mercedes were looking at potentially doing a two but Mercedes was bad fast. I mean, that allowed Hamilton to come in, get some super softs, and just make an absolute run of it. And and he did. He went all the way up to the back of Raikkonen before they pitted Raikkonen, and that was around 20-something, I want to say. I can't remember the exact pit stop, but uh, Hamilton was, was in control for the most part, and then whenever they pitted Raikkonen, he just did enough uh, during that sequence when Hamilton caught up to him before that initial pit stop to slow him, drug the pace. It was a brilliant call by Raikkonen to do that, and as we saw, uh, things kind of sorted themselves out to with a thrilling finish. I mean, we had you know, Raikkonen holding off for stopping, holding off Hamilton, and they were all under a blanket for the last 10 laps within three and a half seconds of each other. And you didn't quite know if Hamilton was going to be able to get there because Hamilton, if he passes for stopping, he seals the championship. But at the same time, if Vettel doesn't get Botas, who's running P4, while Hamilton's running P3, that would also lock up the championship. So there's all these little variables with 10 laps to go. And as things kind of triggered themselves, Vettel made the pass on Botas, and Hamilton made that desperate move to get around Verstappen, which, for all the crap that we give Max Verstappen, young kid, he's come to blows with a lot of people on track. That was one of the most brilliant defenses that I've ever seen out of him, and it ended up drifting Hamilton off course. Hamilton was a little cautious, and he even admitted that, but that move with two to go really ensured the lead with Raikkonen uh, gapping it from 1.2 out to about two seconds and ultimately ended up leading to the victory for Kimi. So uh, a lot of storylines coming out of this weekend, obviously. I think uh, beyond Kimi breaking that streak, uh, some key notes on him is he becomes the first driver to win in three different engine eras, uh, V10, V8, V6. And so that that was pretty cool. It also shows his age of how long he's been around this place, right? Um, But I think the... The really unique thing here was Max Verstappen goes from P18 to P2 on the grid, doesn't put a wheel wrong the whole race, and you could argue that if he would have just qualified better and not had taken that uh, grid penalty to change out this gearing early on, that uh, which potentially is what ended up plaguing, plaguing uh, Daniel Ricciardo, maybe we're looking at Verstappen as, as the guy that would have won this race, but... Um, there's there's a lot of different things coming out of here. Uh, of note, there was a couple of penalties. Uh, Esteban Ocon, who finished P8, and Kevin Magnussen, P9, both had fuel violations, and they both ended up getting disqualified from the race. And so that moved up Sergio Perez, Brendan Hartley, and Marcus Erickson. Of note for that, it gives Brendan Hartley his first uh, or his career best finish one year to the day of his, or not one year to the day, but one year later after his debut in Formula One. So good on him with all the pressure circling with him being able to keep that seat or not. Um, Because of the issue with Magnussen, it leaves Haas off the table for points. So what was promising, because Grosjean ended up having a really good qualifying run, uh, was going to start top 10, first time that Haas ever did that at Coda. Uh, back that up with what Magnuson and that fuel violation along with what eventually was Grosjean getting collected up uh, in a mess and ultimately a retirement. It was a nightmare weekend for Haas. So with that, I mean, Richard, what are your thoughts from this uh, ridiculously awesome, crazy race that we saw on Sunday? Nah, it was all right, wasn't that? Bring back Formula 1 of the 80s when you had two people on the lead lap, you know. <laughs> um, no, it, it was fantastic. It was a... You know, it was a great race. Um, it's a fun, you know, of, of the new tracks that are out there um, that you've seen in the last 15, 20 years or so, I think it's, it's one of the best. Um, you know, it produces reasonably exciting racing. But, uh, you know, this last weekend when you had the Hamilton on the charge and Verstappen up there and Kimmy, it was brilliant. I mean, what more could you ask for um, from, a, from a spectator point of view? One thing that I thought was very interesting... Uh, and potentially was highlighted this weekend and could be what has caused uh, Mercedes seeming dominance post sort of spa time, I think it was. 
Uh, Ferrari questioned uh, a modified wheel hub or wheel rim, sorry, that Mercedes have been running uh, for the last number of races now. Uh, the question is that there's, there's holes in the wheel wheel rim which are designed to let or help cooling of the brakes. So in other words, let air out of the brake duct through the wheel rim. This is something that Red Bull tried five or six years ago now and were, were told that it's a movable aerodynamic piece. And uh, Ferrari questioned the FIA over the legality of the Mercedes iteration and the FIA turned around and said, no, to our mind, it is it is legal and Mercedes are allowed to run it. However, out of the goodness of their hearts this weekend at, uh, at Austin, Mercedes decided not to run the, that part or not to run, run that wheel rim. And they, blanked, they modified the wheel rims to um, basically reduce that effect of uh, brake temperature cooling. And and what did Mercedes struggle with all weekend? Tire management. Uh, that you know in the race, the reason that Ferrari could do a one stop, and Mercedes couldn't, uh, was was purely down to tire management. Um, and you know maybe there was something. Maybe this a couple of holes in the wheel rim are, are far more significant than people uh, people thought. I mean, obviously Mercedes are turning around saying, oh, it's no real advantage, blah blah blah, but. You know that the facts tell to you know do point out something differently. Before they ran those, tire management wasn't Mercedes' strong point, and then since they put those on the car, they've been pretty bulletproof on that uh, on that extent. So it's an interesting change there, and I think that uh, I think the Mercedes may have got away with that one for a couple of races. And um, you know, unfortunately, it's you know if there is any legal questions about it, it's certainly um, you know come in and. Uh, uh, you know, sort of taken the championship away from Ferrari if that has been the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the other things that, that may have also helped that that enhanced the show a little bit this past weekend, Ferrari admitted that they went back on a few of their updates, um, significantly back, as Vettel put it. And so I think that by going back on some of those updates, maybe we saw a little bit of a return to form because of that reason. But also, let's not forget that on Friday, I mean, that track was just drenched. I mean, it was... Yeah. Driving in, I mean, I was driving through areas where, you know, the streets were four inches underwater in some places. So, I mean, it was rough. And thankfully on Saturday that the rain stopped. But, um, you know, we're looking at ambient temperature being in the 60s, low 60s Friday, Saturday. And then track temperature also kind of around that range. On Sunday, ambient was pushing 75. And you're looking at a track that was pushing 85 to 88 degrees. And so that was a significant increase in track temp. And I feel like the lack of of dry practice that we had on Friday, because we really only had uh, FP3. And, you know, with that in, it was one of those situations where that mixed in with the track temp, Ferrari going back on their updates. I I feel like it really brought in a little bit more of a level (laughs) playing field because there was such a lack of data from, from all the teams from a lack of running on Friday. So... Um, which, well, here's what I will say though, and this is where I want to go with it with you is, do you feel like we would, and maybe this is a devil's advocate thing, but do you feel like we would run into a situation where the quality of F1 shows would be better overall if we had less practice running on Friday? Or with the huge advances in the last few years in uh, vehicle simulation, vehicle dynamics work. You know, if you take car setup as a percentage number, I think going between what the cars unload with at the track and then what they race, excuse me, you're probably looking at like single digit percentage changes, maybe only two or three percent changes in, you know, the, the old days of, oh, we have more rear wing or something like that, they're long gone. You know, I'd be amazed if they made a, a a big wing change like that. You may see a little bit of tweaking in tire pressures. Um, you may see a little bit of spring softening or hardening, depending on um, you know some of the riding handling characteristics of the car. But you know, they know all the tire characteristics. They know all of the track data. They know all of their own aerodynamic performance. So they they spend. The man hours that goes into the simulation of these race weekends is is phenomenal, um, 
And I think if you take away track time, all you would all you would see is that you know the, the disparity between the big teams and the small teams would grow even more because you know the Mercedes of the world have, have far. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Are more resources to put into supercomputers and all that sort of stuff than the likes of a, a Sauber or a Williams or a Force India. So I think I, I don't think you can take that away. I think the racing would actually be better if you took away the simulation tools. Now, obviously, that's very, very hard to do. Um, the only way you could do that, to my mind, is randomize the tires every week, but then that, you'd lose the fairness of the sport if you give somebody a super soft and somebody a soft. You know that that's that 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 sort of turns it into a lottery. Um, but I think that to uh, you know to take away practice time, I, I genuinely don't think it'll improve the race. I don't think the racing was good this weekend because they didn't practice on Friday very much. Of um, note, of course, as well that could have played something into it is Pirelli did make the teams increase the rear tire pressures on Sunday morning for the race. They potentially saw some. Um, issues on uh, the long runs on Saturday morning, which um, you know caused concern with the, with the tyre pressures being too low. So they, they asked the teams to raise the tyre pressures before the race, which is, again, a bit of an unknown. But to counter that, as soon as that directive was issued by Pirelli, I'll tell you, back at the, the factories in Europe, all the, you know, the Mercedes and the Ferraris and the, the Red Bulls of this world would have been ha- putting those tyre pressures into their simulation tools and, and working out the numbers. So, uh, yeah, it's... I don't think taking away, you know, practice time would uh, would have a huge effect on what we see. And yeah, I mean, the, uh, to, to your point, Richard. Yeah, I, I think that the the lack of practice would only serve to hurt the smaller teams that, that don't have the amount of data coming in. I mean, the way Formula One is set up this day and age, the larger teams, the the whole practice session is more of an exercise for the drivers than the engineers because the engineers are ready to go with their setup. Yeah, I mean, yeah. from a in a in a way, you know, from the from a um, an engineering standpoint, the race is just going through the motions. The, the the best, you know, from an engineering perspective, the most interesting and challenging part of the weekend potentially is practice, uh, especially if you've got new parts on a car. But um, uh, you know, the, the the how often you know Ferrari are probably, you know, they've missed a missed a missed, missed something obviously with these updates but how often do you see mercedes turn around and say oh we tried some updates we have to take them off or red bull you know these guys are getting so good with their simulation tools they get pretty accurate now you look at williams and red bull uh, sorry toro rosso and sauber and some of the smaller teams it's not uncommon for them to turn around and say, oh we bought a new wing but it didn't really work so we've got to you know go back a step so it was interesting that um you know again track time is king for these small teams yeah, one of the things that I look at this weekend, talking about all this stuff, kind of had me thinking about the constructors a little bit. Uh, Gunther Steiner said that, that as far as Haas goes, they're a little bit more conservative when it comes to bringing out certain updates. I mean, just for obvious reasons, you're you're in that that fight for the pretty much the best of the rest. As what Formula One point five is Gene Haas, and you know, I find it interesting that of all the teams this weekend, they're probably the ones that shot themselves in the foot the most. Um, when you look at what they had on the table this weekend uh, in that scrap for fourth place in the constructors with Renault and uh, and ironically McLaren, but they've got a pretty good gap on McLaren. Renault came out and after a couple of bad races performed pretty good this weekend. I mean, 
they picked up 14 points for the Constructors Championship, and with the disqualification that Magnuson hit, along with the DNF for Grosjean, they didn't cost and collect any points, and that's a huge, huge deficit considering the fact that going into Mexico now, I mean, they're 20 points behind Renault, and with three rounds to go, I mean, that's they're so close. It's crazy to think that this team is only three years old, and they're on the cusp of potentially finishing P4 in the Constructors, which is incredible props to them and what they've been able to build in such a short amount of time. But uh, it also goes to show that, um, you know, you've got to seize every single opportunity and that includes with just the updates and with updates being gone the rest of the year, I'm kind of wondering if Haas have anything left to challenge Renault for that P P four spot. Yeah. So uh, let's, um, let's talk about uh, Kimmy again a little bit. Uh, because he was now, Joe, you were at the post-race press conference and, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that feel like, you know, this, um, the Ferrari to Sauber is a, a demotion or, or, you know, Kimmy's getting pushed out or farmed out or, you know, depending on how you want to, uh, look at it. But Kimmy ha- had a very, very different answer that, uh, kind of shut a lot of people down and Joey, I'll just, uh, I'll just let you share it because I, I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, so somebody asked him if maybe this would be a situation where this win would kind of justify Ferrari should have kept him instead of Vettel. Um, and and he said that, more or less, this is paraphrasing, but yeah, you guys just don't seem to get it, that that's where he wants to go. He wants to go to Sauber. And it, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Number one is is that, you know, the, the tr- team being in Switzerland, it's just 40 minutes from his house puts him closer to his family while he still gets to race cars. And I think the other important factor here is that he also said was, you know, he's a racing driver. He likes to challenge himself. And because of that reason, he looks at this and he's excited about this upcoming challenge and that people shouldn't get it, get it mixed up. This is what he wants to do. This is where he wants to go. So, you know, from that take, uh, let's be honest, when you drive for Ferrari, there's a lot of politics behind the scenes, and I'm sure that there's more headaches in PR than anybody can imagine. And so to that end, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that I think it's going to be exciting to see what Sauber can do because when you look at what they're able to do right now, I mean, with Charles Leclerc, my goodness. And, you know, we'll see what Charles Leclerc can do stacked against Vettel in a Ferrari uniform. But... um you know, props to Kimi on on kind of coming face with that because I think that too far too often a lot of us on the outside kind of get things mixed up on why they kept him, why they kept Vettel, and why not him, and what about this, and look who's on form, and so yeah, I props to him on that. I, I think what's also funny is and this is a question I asked him is the fact that this is his first win as a family man, and he immediately talked about his family being happy for him and things like that, but. That, uh, you know, he could get a Pirelli cap and buy one, but it wouldn't necessarily be fair. He felt like he needed to get it this way. And now the the biggest thing that his kids want is a Pirelli tire. So if he can get something in qualifying done over the next three races, then he can come back home with that little Pirelli tire that you get for one in the polls. So kind of interesting to see uh, Kimi, the family man, now as after all these years, whenever he finally got this win, it seems to be where his head's at more than more than any other time that we've ever seen him in his life. Yeah, guys, that reminds me of uh, oh gosh, like when Tony Kanaan won the Indy 500. You know, he he was saying that his uh, his kids said, "Yeah, Dad, you know, I've never seen you win a race." You know, because they were all not born when Tony was winning races. So I'm sure that's a great, just a great, great moment for um, uh, for Kimmy and the family there. And I remember a similar thing with uh, with Sam Hornish winning a Xfinity race a while back. That all of his wins were before his kids were born, and these kids got to to see this one. So that's really neat. But what I what I'd really be interested to see is how the addition of Kimi Raikkonen into the Sauber team ups their game. You know, like we've talked about that they are improving and we've seen, we've seen really talented guys move to smaller teams and, and then see their careers slowly fizzle out. Uh, but we've also seen really talented, talented guys move to smaller teams and see that smaller team rise uh, to the occasion with, uh, you know, on the back of that talented driver. And, and one of the ones that comes to mind is, um, uh, Sebastian Bourdais joining the coin team. So, um, I, I mean, what are your, what are your, uh, Rich, Joey, either one, uh, what, what do you think Kenny brings to the table and, and how do you like uh, Sauber's chances um, uh, next year to uh, contend for a possible win? 
Yeah, I think he's going to do wonders, honestly. I think uh, potentially could he deliver another win? I mean, they haven't won since they were BMW Sauber, and it was just the one with Kubica. But, um, you know, when you look at what Kimi did at Lotus – uh, many years ago, that was a that was a small outfit, and they were able to take it to the big three. And then you look, I mean, everywhere he's gone, they found a way to develop the car. You don't develop the car just from engineers. It comes from the driver as well on feedback and feel. And so, you know, I, I expect them to improve. I think that they're going to be some somebody that can challenge right there in the top five, uh, probably like right around fifth where Haas is sitting currently. I, I think that there's a legitimate shot that they could do that because – you know they're going to continue to get a little bit of help on the Ferrari side, and then they're going to have Giovinazzi as well. So their ability to pull points uh, for top ten every week is certainly capable. And, I mean, as he said this in the F1 Live with Will Buxton and Connor Daly, Connor asked him how different the car is now compared to whenever he first got in, and he's like, all the same components you need to go fast are still there, so really nothing changes. There's all these little things that everybody wants to look at, but if you really look at the, the details of it, that's fine. But if you look at, at what makes the car go faster, it's all the same factors with, with the bottom, with the flooring, with everything else. So, um, you know, I, thought, I found that pretty intriguing. And, I mean, don't forget, when he came to Ferrari, they were bottom feeders in, in their respective organization. They were not doing anything. So the combination of him... That first year, and then they bring in Vettel the second year. Ferrari's kind of come back into at least being a contender. We'll find out if they can really bring a championship home in some time because it's been since Kimi drove in his first stint in 07 that they've got a championship. So um, Ferrari still has a lot of work to do, but they've made massive gains under Kimi. Lotus made massive gains under Kimi. I mean, ever just about everywhere he goes, they improve. So I think Sauber's definitely going to be well-improved next year. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. So, but uh, now, Richard, you have a thought on this, or I think w- what you you're going to see from Sauber is that continuing improvement, and, and you know they've got to aim for that uh, fourth, fifth spot in the in the in the championship. Um, there's going to be a lot of unknowns, of course, with a, with a you know a lot of the teams. I mean, you you're really outside the top three. You know, you you're looking at the top three to be the same Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, but then. Then who else is going to be there? I mean, that's as, as Gunter Steiner said it. The Formula One point five is, in many many ways, more exciting than the Formula One. Um, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the uh, you know over the off season. Um, you know the early testing because again they got reduced testing next year. So uh, yeah, it'll be good to uh, it'll be be fascinating to see what happens. If I think the one the one last note on this uh, that's so important is that Kimi's on a two-year deal with this, and so everything that that kind of goes with his contract and Sauber, this is all under the current regulations. It's before we see the drastic overhaul of changes that we could potentially see in 2021. So that all said, the the situation and and everything that's in place they're set in a pretty comfortable platform to make gains forward. And I think that's what's even most critical. If we were looking at a, a radical change in regulations next year, I would tell you that Sauer probably doesn't have a chance. But because there isn't anything like that, I think they're really poised to make leaps and bounds. And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, let's be honest. When you look at some team like McLaren, they look so good. They're the flavor of the month at the beginning of the season. But we forget that the Haas had a double retirement while they were running up there in the top six. And there was all these other factors, and that's what made McLaren really shine and look good. But McLaren, to me, have been the most disappointing team of the year, uh, in all fairness. like I, I look yeah. at Renault was supposed to be their single hope. I mean, I would argue that Alfa Romeo, Salver, and Toro Rosso, with what they've been able to do with that Spec 3 Honda engine, especially as of late, I mean, I, I can't get enough of it, honestly. And so to that end, I'm waiting to see... I don't expect them moving on from Van Dorn and Alonso at McLaren to really push the envelope of success because you're looking at two drivers that are very, very good talents. And not to say that George Russell, or not to say that, that Lando Norris, excuse me, and Carlos Saints aren't, but I think that when you're looking at the overall landscape of things, you're trying to build forward. It's tough to do when you keep changing things. And, you know, if there's no consistency there, you're not going to make any gains. No. Yeah. So now speaking of McLaren, they, you know, they had been 
you know, teasing us with this uh, IndyCar program. And I, I kind of felt all along that uh, they were not going to make a jump over to IndyCar with their Formula One program in shambles. Um, although they did announce they've signed Coca-Cola as a primary sponsor for uh, next year, which is a, a pretty good coup for them. I guess, uh, you know, that um, I'm, I'm sure that package is uh, worth quite a pretty penny. I don't know if it'll make the that car been any con- faster. Has that been confirmed as a primary sponsor? Then? Because my understanding is it was like a part sponsor to the end of the season and then potential for next year. Okay, yeah. yeah. So maybe I misread the article, but I know they they've got some money from Coca Cola. So sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, like I, said, I don't know if that's going to make their car any faster because uh, you know Coca Cola, you can put it on the tires and make them shiny. But I don't know that uh, what else that'll do. But um, <laughs> but on top of that, so Fernando Alonso, okay, he's he's been teasing the IndyCar world all year long. Um, then and, and we kind of speculated that there may be an announcement on his future. Um, this week in Austin, and this is why that we haven't had the announcement yet uh, that they're waiting for the you know the U.S. Grand Prix to do the announcement in the United States. But so Fernando tells us, "Oh, I knew back in August I was never going to do Indy cars." He goes, and, "And now you know. Now I can tell you." So uh, uh, you know, it's just it's really it's really turned a lot of people off. They're like, uh, just like uh, you know, Richard, you and I were talking earlier. He's just oh, he's a diva. He like he he enjoys the attention. Uh, keeping his name in the headline, he doing his little his little cryptic things on Twitter here and there, uh, you know, you know, back and forth with Graham Rahal, back and forth with the with the Speedway. Um, but then he says he had no intention of running IndyCar at all. Um, I don't know that I buy that he had no intention. Uh, I think maybe he thought seriously about it and it just wasn't going to work out. So it's the, you know, sour grapes. He goes, Oh, well, if I can't have it, I didn't want it anyway. So, but, uh, I mean, what, what are your guys thoughts on Alonzo? I mean, obviously he's going to run some sports car races next year. Um, there's talk. He might do the Indy 500. He still wants that triple crown that, um, you know, and, and honest to God, I hope, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya gets it uh, before he does. Cause Juan's just as close. So, but what are you guys thoughts? Yeah. I think that uh, yeah, I think he will do the 500 next year. Uh, I think it's a good move by McLaren not to commit to the 500. I mean, it'd be extremely hypocritical of them if they were to do that with the struggles that they're having on the the Formula One side. And they're also a very, very, very big presence in Formula E uh, going through to next year as the the main powertrain supplier. So, or the main battery supplier. Sorry. So. Um, you know they've got their they're spreading their butter quite thin on McLaren at the moment. So I think IndyCar is too soon. Um, he's going to have to do something. You know how many prototype races are there left in the WEC Championship? A handful. Um, so I I'd be surprised if he does just the WEC and the Indy 500. I think you're going to see him do something else as well on top of that. Um, yeah, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of. Options. I mean, there could be there could be a few NASCAR races thrown in there because you know. I mean, what what nothing has anything come of that Jimmy Johnson little promo clip they did a few weeks ago? I think uh, Seth, Seth knows a little bit about that. They actually released another promo clip uh, this past weekend. Okay, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't do some at least test one. You know, drive one a little bit. He may do a number, you know. He may do the Indy Road Race as well as the Indy 500 this year, um, but yeah, he's you know he's got to do something to keep sharp. They could really promote that thing with Jimmy and Alonzo, you know, two two guys who used to win championships who can't buy a race win now, you know. Well, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. and just have yeah. them, you know, head to head against one another until one of them's going to win a race. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I'm terrible, but uh, sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> I think I think honestly, from my perspective, it's a bigger hit on the McLaren side. That's the one that I was really focused on is to see if we would have McLaren kind of roll over. And the one thing that, that Alonzo did say Saturday night uh, down there at McLaren Hospitality is that the two decisions were made independently. Just ironic that it both happened, uh, you know, simultaneously because after Zach Brown let the cat out of the bag, uh, CEO from McLaren Racing on Friday – during the team principal, or sorry, team representative press conference, as they called it, um, you know, it just made sense for Alonzo, who is going to be flooded with IndyCar questions this weekend anyway, to kind of confront that uh, front and center. Uh, I think that 
I'd be intrigued to see if Alonzo doesn't get an Indy 500 win next year, if that kind of resorts him to go full season the year after that. Just out of curiosity, I think if he gets a triple crown, you know, the Indy 500 win and steals the triple crown, so to speak, next year seals it up. I feel like he's not going to come IndyCar racing. I think it'll be like, thank you, I've got that, and we're good. I'm going to roll forward, do my own thing elsewhere. But I also think that if he doesn't get it, maybe we do see him full-time in 2020. Um, as far as the McLaren thing goes, Zach Brown did say that he hopes that it's a matter of, of when, not if, they're an IndyCar. Uh, a lot of the reason is because you know IndyCar to them is incredibly attractive, as he put it, because not only is it – where all the partners for McLaren really see things growing. But also when you look at the history that they have in IndyCar racing, when you look at the market that North America is for them, there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense for them to go IndyCar racing. But even he said, you know, Formula One is our number one priority. We're just focused right now on getting that squared away and that done. But make no mistake, we are looking at trying to figure out how to make this work to go racing in America. And unfortunately, we just couldn't get all the all the uh, eggs to fall the right way for, for this to happen next year. So, um, I mean, how many teams would that be in IndyCar? I mean, we got four that came in, you know, over the last span of the last two years, maybe five if you include the part-time Myron Schenk. If you were to add McLaren, I mean, my goodness. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of quality in the IndyCar grid right now, and to have some team like McLaren would only bolster that. And I, I'd be very interested to see, A, if the tracks have that kind of capacity to hold it, but also... As we all know, the money doesn't always always flow evenly amongst all teams. So, you know, where where some rise, others fall. And I'd be curious to see how that shakes up the entire IndyCar series uh, for years to come if, if that happens. Yeah, and then, I mean, throw into that that, uh, you know, Jay Fry and company are saying that the uh, talks they're having with uh, other any manufacturers for coming in for the new regs in 2021 are very, very encouraging. He said there's a lot of interest. And the the price point that they're looking at when you divide the um, you know field that you have to you know supply a third of the field rather than half, uh, it's a really kind of attractive price point for um, bang for your buck for the manufacturer. So uh, uh, you know he, he's declined to say who he's talking to, um, but um, you know there are he said there are manufacturers definitely interested in Formula E and hybrid engines, but there are those that are really interested in just a straight racing engine, which IndyCar is going to offer. So uh, we'll just have to, uh, you know, keep our finger on the pulse of that story as it uh, comes around. So, but, uh, um, but uh, great Formula One segment, guys. We're going to have to uh, move on to talk a little bit about Elimination Weekend in Kansas because Pearl Seth has been sitting there quiet, Seth, and I apologize to you. But before that, let's, uh, let's make some picks for Mexico. Um, so we're we're in Mexico in a week's time, and um, Richard, I'll start with you. Kimmy, back to back. Boom. Kimmy, Kimmy, back to back. Paul, get his little mini tire, wins the race, uh, gets the sombrero, and everybody goes home happy. So so I'll have a sombrero and a cowboy hat. Oh, and a, be, and, a, yeah. and a Pirelli hat. Yep. Are you are you also going to call Hamilton locking it up? Because all he has to do is finish hey, seventh got, or better. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be my. It would be. It's not exactly incredible... a call, is it? Really? Okay, yeah, that's catastrophic. Oh, I'm going to also predict the sun rises tomorrow. <laughs> it's cloudy okay. here. It's all all right. So, so Seth, would you like to make a pick for Mexico? Uh, Vettel and Hamilton clinches. Okay, Vettel wins. Hamilton clinches. All right, Joey. What? How do you see Mexico shaking out? I think it's going to be a Red Bull. Honestly, uh, I'm going to probably go Ricardo because I feel like just his bounce back is usually pretty strong. But yeah, I, either way, I think a Red Bull takes it. Um, I don't see any way in hell that Hamilton loses this championship, honestly. I mean, it, Vettel has to win this thing pretty much. And but, it, you know, and that's if Hamilton finishes eighth, ninth, tenth. It's kind of alive, if I recall. But if Hamilton finishes seventh or better, then it's locked up and it's done. So, um, but yeah, I, I see a Red Bull taking this thing in Mexico. Uh, I feel like it kind of fits them. The the high altitude is tricky. I mean, they're going to also get some additional <coughs> and things like that um, to help keep everything uh, going, oil, etc. So, I think Red Bull's the best equipped to go win on win on uh, Sunday. 
All right, so and, and I'm going to say that Hamilton takes it easy, cruises to that championship, and Valtteri Bottas takes the race win, uh, close pursued by the two Red Bull cars. So, but um, that's that's next week. But uh, Seth, let's talk about Kansas NASCAR Elimination Sunday. We saw two thirds of the Penske team go down with um, <laughs> Blaney and Kisla- or with with um, Blaney. Blaney. Blaney and Kislowski going out, and then uh, Bowman and Larson are also out. Um, the eight cars still in. Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex, Chase Elliott, Clint Boyer, Joey Logano, Kurt Busch, and Eric Amarola. That's five Fords, two Toyotas, one Chevrolet still alive, and that one Chevrolet is Chase Elliott, who took the win at Kansas. So, uh, Seth, let's talk about Kansas. Well, Kansas was an interesting race. Uh, Joey Logano dominated the first 100 laps. Then Kevin Harvick, it seemed like he was going to drive away with the victory until uh, he uh, until he lost down pit road speeding. Uh, it was the final green flag uh, pit stop. He and Chase Elliott came down. Now, Chase was catching him beforehand, but the, they came down on the same lap. Kevin got busted for speeding. Ended up finishing 12th, he, and when he came back on track, he was running about 18th or 19th, so he was only able to regain about seven positions over the last 40, 50 laps or so. Uh, but Chase Elliott became, uh, Chase Elliott basically inherited the lead, won the race. He became the eighth driver in the modern era of NASCAR to win three races in his or to win his first three races in the same season. Uh, the last person to do it was Carl Edwards, so back in 2005. It, it was just it was an interesting race. Even coming down to the end, Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson were catching Chase Elliott until the two of them decided they were going to battle each other. Uh, otherwise, Keselowski, he got on an alternate strategy, trying to run the fuel out, hope for a caution, the caution never really came for him, and he ended up sixth. Had that caution come, he had, I want to say, all but about four or five cars uh, lapped at one point, and he almost would have had it in the bag if that caution had come, but that's why they raced all the laps. That's why they raced all the laps. And interestingly enough, it's kind of funny because Brad had a couple of sort of, I don't like to ever say lucky wins because, you know, there's luck involved in a win, but there's, but, but some, you know, he didn't have the fastest car in some of his wins, but uh, kind of the fortunes fell his way. And it seemed like he was yet uh, gambling again here. And I think he was bound to, to have it go the other way. Um, but, but surprising to see, you know, because we were talking about, you know, all, all year we're talking about the big three. And then when, when Brad started, uh, you know, one of three in a row is the big four. And now suddenly he's out before we get to the round of eight. So, um, and Truex almost fell out in that. Truex, race. Yeah, he was Truex was real close to falling out as well, which would have been, uh, you know, that would have maybe put Keselowski in or, or, or even one of these other cats that got eliminated. So funny enough, the uh, penalty for Harvick, end up helping Truex make it in because that was one less car that he had to pass. Granted, almost the entire playoff grid passed Harvick. The only two that didn't finish ahead of him were Boyer and Kurt Busch. But Truex ended up ahead of Boyer in points after the race. So he ended up having that extra cushion in part because of Harvick's mistake. And speaking of Boyer, there was also a... uh, non-call that NASCAR did during green flag pit stops at one point. Yeah, was this the the tire? Yes, and the explanation is the tire was in control until it got all the way to the pit wall. At that point, it rolled into the next pit box, but because it was already all the way back at the pit wall, it's not a penalty. Yeah, that's that's one that I kind of disagree with, Seth. I mean, are are you I'm, I'm are you with NASCAR on that or I I personally don't agree with it personally because it could have easily rolled all the way across the pit box back on the pit road. Granted, Kansas, it's not banked. The pit road, most pit roads are not banked. But had this been say Dover, it actually has. Uh, off camber banking that will have rolled all the way to the pit wall. So, 
Richard, Richard, what are your thoughts on this? Because I, I, just, I couldn't believe that they didn't give a penalty for that either. Richard? Hello. Yeah, there we go. Um, so many things in NASCAR are open to interpretation. Uh, and this is one of the big ones. Uh, you know, they've done so much work with their, the sort of the automated system for detecting when too many guys over the wall too soon or, or whatever like that. It's, you, you've got to be black and white a little bit, haven't you? You know, if the tyre leaves a certain area and... It wasn't defined being, you know, it's almost making it like an NFL game, isn't it, with with opinion and debate, and uh, it's just not quite as interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they need to give a penalty. You know, if you're going to call penalties on loose tyres, then it was a loose tyre, it's a penalty. Yeah, and I can't believe there's degrees of looseness. The, well, tire was, the tire was under control. Under control of what? It was under its own power. So yeah, <laughs> one away. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, we don't, yeah we don't. We don't need to beat this topic to death. But yeah, I'm. Uh, I, 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 yeah, that one kind of blew my mind. So, so Seth, uh, I'm sorry. I'll let you continue. Well, for the cup race, there really wasn't much else that happened. It, there were only three cautions. Two of them were for these uh, end of the stages. The other one was just for fluid on track, and that was uh, from when William Byron blew his engine. Otherwise, it was a fairly uneventful and fairly quick race for the, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. The Xfinity Series, however, uh, lap one, turn two, half the playoff grid decided to crash out. Uh, Justin Allgaier broke loose underneath Christopher Bell, and they started uh, second and third, and they took Austin Sindrick, Cole Custer, and about five or six other cars with them in the wreck. Uh, Sindrick and Michael Annette actually were credited with completing zero laps. The first time two drivers uh, were credited with completing zero laps in six years in a single race. Uh, the race was won by John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, it was his first career win. Daniel Hemrick, who dominated the day, finished second. He ended up getting a uh, L1 penalty. The car was too low, and he's losing 10 points. He went from having a 9-point lead to now just having a 1-point lead over Elliott Sadler, uh, who finished third. He had Shane Lee gain a career-best finish in fourth. Tyler Reddick and Matt Tift rounded out the playoff grid drivers that actually finished the race in fifth and sixth. And there was a kind of bizarre wreck on the restart after the initial pileup. Brandon Jones trying to side draft Hemrick lost control on the backstretch and, and uh, clobbered the outside wall, destroying his car 12 laps into the race. All right, so Joey's asking a question about I, the, the... I misworded that. Uh, one point it was deficit. A... L- one L- point deficit, Catherine okay, okay. One point lead. Okay, so now it was Kansas an elimination round for Xfinity? And no, Kansas was the first round, or first race of the round of eight. Round of eight, okay. So, so you've got these guys that have two more chances to redeem themselves, but uh, I did read, like, I'm sorry, I don't follow the Xfinity as close. Uh, as uh, well, the other races, but you've got go, go you've in, got you've got you've got some guys, championship contenders that are really in trouble. That really have to make some well, things happen in the next couple of races. Correct. Correct. Going into the race, so Bell and Allgaier had nearly a thirty-point advantage over the cutoff. Christopher Bell now holds the cutoff, and Allgaier is actually five points out right now. That one mistake that Justin Allgaier made on the first lap may have destroyed both of their playoff chances. And these are the guys who alone have won 11 of the 30 races this year. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's the, um, that's the danger of the, of the elimination playoff system. Yeah. So, but speaking of which, let's get back to to the cup series. Okay. And let's talk about this, uh, uh, the round of eight going down to the round of four because we've got three more races before championship weekend in Homestead, um, and and uh, you know just looking at this thing right, Stuart Haas has all four of their guys still in. They've got a shot at sweeping that final four. 
Um, you know, obviously, Amarola will probably have to win win a race to get in. Harvick's probably sort of safe on on stage points if he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, have have um, really bad finishes. You know, if he's uh, if he's finishes in the top ten, he's probably good. But this is a definite possibility. And Joey, um, you and I were talking about this earlier. So, um, you know, how would this would turn this thing on his head to have uh, all four cars from the same team in this uh, in this final four? Yeah, I mean, it's something we hadn't quite seen before. And, you know, I think that kind of you end up running into a, dare I say, Formula One kind of style of procedure in some cases, right? Where one team has all the data, has everything kind of working in its favor, and and yet they only have themselves to beat. Kind of sounds like Mercedes 2014, 2015, just saying. But, uh, no, I, I think that it's interesting with the way the stage points have set up that's kind of in some ways allowed this to happen as opposed to the previous format where, you know, Gibbs and Hendrick, uh, like what Seth had mentioned when we were talking off air about it, you know, they had chances to do this, but I think that in some cases we all knew that somebody was going to get knocked out in that scenario. In this scenario, you could have it to where Harvick comfortably finishes top five, the remaining races along with Boyer and Kurt. And if Almirola is the guy that gets the lucky win right there, um, wouldn't really be so lucky. Just it would justify more of how just how quality he's been all year. But uh, we run into a scenario where all four qualifying there for the championship four. I mean, if you're another team, what's really there to fight for at that point? Uh, you know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out because you know we go to Martinsville. All of Stuart Haas has got a great record at Martinsville, and then we go to Texas, and we know that their money at mile and a half. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if if a if Chevy like Chase Elliott, who's you know this year's flavor of the month, I look at him kind of like what Kyle Larson was able to do uh, last year. So we'll see if he can replicate any type of the success that he's had as of late, going from no wins to three all of a sudden. Um, and then obviously we're going to find out really quickly if what the Toyota's got. Um, Cause at the moment, I don't see another team that can even contend in the same category as Stuart Haas right now. Although uh, just my observation, Chevrolet only has one basket to fill, so to speak, that they can put all of their data, all of their information into Chase Elliott's team where they're the only one in the playoffs. While Ford has to spread out amongst five teams, the four Stuart Haas cars and Joey Logano. But so you could see, almost make. See, I'm going to argue you there, though. Like, if, if all the data is the same and you're kicking everybody's ass, what else do you need? I mean, Chevy's been running like junk all year. I mean, at, at so least I until get... recently, from what yeah. it looks like. I mean, so you're going to get data from Alex Bowman. And Austin Dillon and Jimmy Johnson <laughs> and Sorry. I mean, look at the list of talent that's in a Chevy camp versus a, a Ford camp right now. And I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna I hate saying it because you know I love the bow tie, but when I look at this, I, I see all the talent in the blue ovals right now outside of you know the Kyle Busch that's running amongst the Toyota camp along with Truex. Well, and even even Truex has seen to be. Kind of hit a hit well, a bit of struggles lately, you know. Uh, and it's, it's been a while since Truex has won a race. Now Kyle Busch can pop up and win a race any given day, but I've kind of it, I, I don't know if it's because the uh, that team there knows it's the end of the end. But it 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 seems like well, Truex they've just kind of they've been just mediocre. They've been just good enough to to squeak by. Here's here's a question for you, Seth. Uh, kind of going on Frank's take. Do you feel like because we know Furniture Row's closing the door that maybe Toyota's pouring less into them uh, for obvious reasons and pouring it all into Gibbs? I do get a feeling something along those lines is happening. I've noticed since the announcement that Furniture Row is shutting down at the end of the year that their performance has ticked off, and slowly but surely the performance of JGR, Kyle Busch, has not ticked off to the same degree but it's not as nearly as strong as it used to be. It's not up there competing every single week with the Fords, with Chase Elliott, with other drivers. He's almost fallen from a winning car to a almost out, maybe tail end top five, top 10 car in recent weeks. 
You just got to be money on the on Sunday when Homestead comes in. I mean, that's it. I mean, when you've got leads like what him and Harvick had, I mean, really, you could kind of take it easy and cakewalk to a degree over the over nine out of the ten playoff races because you know with the stage points, you're pretty much just casually strolling into Homestead. You just got to make sure that you just don't make any mistakes to beat yourself. And that, obviously with, with the situation like what Harvick almost did to himself on Sunday, this past Sunday, yeah, I mean, like I got to say, I know there's four races yet to go, and and of course, you know, Martinsville's a wild card, and and you know, Chase Elliott's probably looking to Martinsville, thinking how well he ran that last year. But as, as I look at this thing, I really like Harvick for this championship. I, well, I really do. I, I don't see, I, I you know, I don't see anybody really challenging him uh, unless it can, and it, it'll it'll come down to that final race. You know, if if Harvick has some troubles in in Homestead. Um, it'll go to, you know, Kyle Busch or, or I, I don't know that anybody can play spoiler Logano, maybe, I don't know, but he's been kind of mediocre all year, but wouldn't it be wild to see somebody like a Kurt Busch play spoiler, you know? Hey Seth, would this be the first time in like a decade that we've had Ford Fords actually pretty much potentially winning the championship? The last time Ford won a championship was with Kurt Busch in 2004. So Ford Championship Weekend at Homestead has actually been Toyota or Chevy or Dodge Championship Weekend is what you're saying. Yes. That's funny. <laughs> and just one other thing. I don't think Martinsville is going to be the wild card. I actually think that's going to be ISM Raceway, especially mm-hmm. because they moved the start-finish line and they reconfigured Pit Road. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that it's going to be a little different. Um I think it's going to be great for the spectators there, though. Uh, you know, having that start finish line in the middle of the dog leg, or or, or in the middle of turn two, rather, I believe, right? Uh, it's uh, exit it's, what was turn two before the dog leg. Right, right, yeah. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, and just I, I've looked at a lot of the plans for ISM, and it, it looks absolutely beautiful. It's going to be just uh, it's going to be a wonderful weekend to spend a race. Too bad IndyCar's not going there next year. But um, it, it, it looks like they've done a great job with uh, just fan amenities uh, and stuff as well. So, And, and I agree wholeheartedly. Again, it, it's just a continuation of ISC's uh, revamping of all their tracks. They started with Daytona, then they did Richmond. Now they're doing ISC. They're doing Darlington, uh, the grandstands. I don't know what they have planned next. I think maybe from the rumblings I've heard, either Michigan or Fontana. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them continue this revamping project that they've been doing with all their tracks. It certainly needs doing. I mean, if you go to some of these tracks and you go inside the uh, you know the, the garage areas and, and, and where the things work, I mean, some of them are pretty ropey in places. So it will certainly wouldn't help to give them a bit of a you know a spruce up and uh, bring them in. Some of them need to be brought into the 20th century, never mind the 21st. Yeah, like, like I say, if you're as old as me and you've been to tracks like in the before and after, you know, I remember going to Watkins Glen back in the 70s, right? And and, and going back there recently, uh, it's just, you know, the difference is night and day between what, uh, what you had, in, you know, even as far as things like parking and restrooms and, and those sort of things and, and concessions and um, the, you know, even even uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway had that big uh, Project 100 a couple of years, and they've really kind of upped their game with uh, with a lot of stuff. And I remember going to Kentucky when they first opened; it was a very nice track. But then after um, you know, they they got taken over, they you know they flattened out all that muddy parking and paved it, and and so uh, it's it's really uh, you know. But hopefully, it brings folks back to the racetrack. You know, at the same time, they're throwing these money into into the into the tracks. And we still see a lot of empty seats. Which is unfortunate. Uh, I know ratings were up from last year, this past weekend, but they were down from the last time they were on NBC, which was 2016. So it's a moving target constantly. And who knows when it will stabilize. Who knows? But I do know, this I do know, we are just about out of time. So let's uh, let's all go make a pick for Martinsville, and uh, Joey, I'll start with you. Who do you like? Who do you like for Martinsville? Uh, ironically, uh, Jimmy Johnson. And okay. For all for right. no other re- for no other reason but because 
him and Chad Canales used to be money there. I think that that's where we see their final career, uh, you know, being of being together. I think that's where we see it fittingly kind of end up ending as their final victory together. So just kind of a fitting little, you know, outside the box media group think there. But to me, that would be a pretty, pretty good way to cap off their careers together as a win at Martinsville. And it would be nice to see Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's season not be a total throwaway and go winless. So, Richard, who do you mm-hmm. like for Martinsville? Clint Boyer. Clint Boyer, a oh, good pick, good pick. And Seth? Chase Elliott, and I don't think any of the big three is going to win this, in this round. Okay. Wow. All right, wow. Mr. Statement over here, huh? Wow, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go... Kyle Bush and say one of the big three does win this round to lay the first smackdown on the <laughs> on the championship and say, hey, all you Ford guys, my Toyota's not out of this yet. So, but I'll tell you what, I want to thank you, Joey, Richard, and Seth. I want to thank uh, Hoobazoo Radio Network and iHeartRadio um, and Spreaker, all you folks that uh, tune in and listen. And we'll talk to you in a week. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.